Hello, welcome to Refigure, the podcast about arts, tech, diversity and culture. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Chris, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. I'm Christopher and who are you? I said I'm Reefa. You didn't. I did. Did I not? No, you didn't. Not this time. Oh my time. god. I was wrong last time and you were wrong this time. Can't even get that bit right. Hello and welcome to the show. What are we going to talk about this week? Let's talk about the stuff we've been doing because we've actually like been out and done loads of things over the last few weeks so maybe we should chat about that. Two things in particular, you ran your She Says Brighton event as part of Brighton Digital Festival which I went to and I really enjoyed so we could chat about that and I went on a music tour playing in the backing band for Jim Bob from Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. So I did some music again, which was great. We also went to see the private view of Nam June Pack, the visionary artist who works with all kinds of digital media and interactive digital art. That was super fun and lots of uh, jokes and craziness in that. We've put some photos on the Instagram, I think, which is Refigure UK. Is that a reasonable thing? Let's do it. So, all through October is the Brighton Digital Festival, multiple venues, lots of grassroots events that are happening, looking at and exploring the synergy between arts and tech. My event happens, uh, it's called She Says Brighton, it's part of the She Says global group helping and supporting women who work in tech and digital. So the theme of my event this month was You OK, Hun? Leadership, Resilience and Compassion. And I asked three speakers to come to Platform 9. They've got a new event space at Hove Town Hall. Well, the only times I can remember being in that building in the past has been to do things like renew residence parking permits and stuff. Like it was a really stodgy proper classic council building wasn't it and it still is that all that stuff is still there but to walk in and find this huge chunk of it is now this really beautiful really kind of hip co-working space because it's this brutalist building um, and they have taken over the whole of the ground floor and they've got all this kind of uh, interesting seating that kind of looks like uh, we're in a gymnasium but because the building itself it's got these amazing windows. It creates a really nice atmosphere. So I had three speakers, Joe Creese from a charity called Together Co, uh, which is around loneliness. She talks about her charity and what the impact it has on various people and how loneliness is this massive uh, problem. Uh, I was going to say, it's a massive deal. It's a problem for people. And of course, at least isolation is just not a very uh, good thing place to be and you don't really know you're in it when until you're in it I suppose. Uh, Deborah Obaseki who is a young woman from London she came down to talk about her initiative called the the Women's Association. She's also one of the directors for a campaign that's been a national campaign around representation of black people called 56 Black Men and you might have seen those pictures of men in hoodies who happen to be black founders, MPs, entrepreneurs, all kinds of doctors, teachers, all kinds of people. And it was a campaign around negative perceptions and stereotypes. We also had Bex Carson 
from Brandwatch, which is a global tech company that started and is still based one of their offices in Brighton. Um, and she came and talked about being in this really senior position. She's been at that company for seven years, I think, and worked her way up. She talked about being really hard on herself, perfectionism, resilience, learning to deal with things on a day-to-day basis of like dealing with even her success was causing this anxiety. And often we kind of feel like problems about mental health and stress are because there are specific things that are going wrong in your life. And with her, it was just interesting because everything was going superbly well for her. And also there was a woman called Reef Thorpe Tracy and she stood up and did a thing from Refigure Limited. So that's me and I talked about my journey literally a journey to like learn loads of stuff in India and then coming back and sort of doing that for my own benefit and only in the last four or five years have really seen this um, rise in interest in alternative therapies from people who would normally uh, or usually have have completely rejected it anyway that was all fun 180 people signed up mostly women it was a really buzzing excited crowd we had speed networking speed drawing and speed networking at the same time with drawn together dot club they've got um is their url and so that was really fun seeing people like collaboratively drawing to you know and creating these crazy things as a way of ice breaking and uh Everyone left feeling really uplifted and energised and all week I've had different women stop me in the street to say me how much say to me how much they loved the event, which is always nice. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you want to know more about that network of women, there's like two thousand women on in Brighton on that list. It's or if you want to know about any of those events and you're more than welcome to come down from wherever you are in the world, it's at She Says Brighton on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. You can just search for She Says Brighton. Tell me about the tour, Chris. Earlier this year, my band reformed, my old band reformed to be Jim Bob's backing band. And we did Shepherd's Bush Empire. And so... Last week we did a little bunch more gigs up and up the UK, up the UK, and I really enjoyed it. Probably the best thing about it is Jim's got this amazing audience. The shows are really that have a really amazing atmosphere of everyone knows all the songs and people leap about, but they're a bit older, so it's kind of big old people leaping about rather than skinny young people leaping about, and it does have a really celebratory atmosphere. For me, it was brilliant to get back on the road without being me, and I really enjoy being in a weird way I'm quite a minor part of that band like I'm the the second guitarist and I'm and I'm just playing quite simple parts technically the band could exist without me but I really enjoy doing it apart from I also do some piano with Jim but I really enjoy that feeling of being the backing musician for someone I love I was at the Shepherd's Empire show at the beginning of the year and it was absolutely ram jammed. I'd never, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen a show like that and it was really full of love and really exciting and in a way like Idols fans or, or I don't know, some of the other new generation of bands that have come out recently. The Brighton show was really funny because it was like two worlds colliding because it was at Patterns and upstairs there was the Wired Sussex Autumn Party that they have, which is like the hub of digital brighton and uh, they were doing a networking event and so i was there for a bit and then i popped downstairs and then a bit later to see the gig and then i was on stage left and then somebody runs up to me 
who'd like got in from the party upstairs and was like she'd never heard of Jim Bob she'd never um didn't even really know who Carter were and she was having a great time and her friend had got her into the gig and uh, to see me and Chris on stage as well was just funny and like a laugh but when Jim came to Brighton before solo he came and played The Haunt a couple of years ago and I took a friend then who's in his mid-30s and I just assumed he was a, a Carter fan right so I'd say I had some Kesselis passes so I took this bloke along and he'd never even heard of them either so it was so weird but he got really into it and it's like this is why it's like a bit like football was where you take some people along and then they all get just carried away by the atmosphere they don't have to have had the experiences that we did of seeing Carter in the late 80s early 90s I even prefer people like that because Jim's solo material is as strong as the Carter hits it's different because it's more mature but it's just as good and if people like that come along and discover it all at once like he's playing a mix of material from right across his career they tend to put it in a kind of more full box of just loving it all and they'll have favorites from both eras whereas obviously there are big Carter fans from the early time who really need to hear those big hits which is so understandable and he he plays all his big hits and that's fine but being a fan and a sort of long-time collaborator with him on his solo period. It's really nice when you meet younger people or people like that who've come to it new. I had a great time because it's a bunch of people I really love anyway, my my old band, Hood Rats. They're some of my closest, longest-term friends. And then it's Jim, which is another team of people. Like There's four, four people in Team Jim Bob that I've been on the road with loads who I also think of as really close, lifelong friends. <laughs> <laughs> There's, again, with the weird synergy thing, so the CEO of, of Wired Sussex was also a massive Carter fan back in the day, and he used to live on the same estate as Carter on uh, in Brixton, I think. In Tulse Hill, yeah, he in grew Tulsa. up in Tulse Hill, yeah. And so you bumped into him the other day. Yeah, I went I went up to Wired Sussex the other day for a talk on robotisation of the future by Andy Budd from Clearleft. So this is how worlds collide, is... That's a completely different universe. And yet I end up stood at the back of this room with Andy Budd and Phil Jones, who's the boss of Wired Sussex, talking about 90s indie, <laughs> which is great. Like That's how it should be. Did he and enjoy both... the show? Yeah, he, he said he loved it. He had a great time. But they didn't play something? He, he said they didn't play, we didn't play, and God created Brixton, which we don't play. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I don't think that's in the set at all. But, you know, that's one of his favourites. So, what, what's next? <laughs> what's next now that you've done this run of shows? I don't know. We we aren't playing again this year. Yeah, you are. You're going to Amsterdam. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The band that there aren't any more band. Jim's going off on this massive long tour with the Wonder Stuff, um, but he's doing that acoustic solo. And then we're going to Europe, but it's not. Don't about... let me down. <laughs> but then we're going to Europe, and it's me and him and I'm playing piano so it's like mainly a solo acoustic show and I'm doing some piano accompaniment and we're going to like Germany and the Netherlands and at the same time he's got a novel coming out early next year so he'll like finish all these gigs at the end of this year and then he'll become a novelist again because in case our dear listener doesn't know what Jim Bob does mostly now is he is the best-selling and very successful novelist J.B. Morrison (laughs)
so we also went to see the Namjoon Pak. He is a new tech and visual culture artist. He uses lots of TV screens, scraps of old TVs to create interesting, funny, kind of silly and sarcastic um, pieces of art. And he worked with John Cale to produce things like, for example, like John Cale's album of silence, he produced uh, one of the pieces is a completely empty reel of film, actual silly film. So if you're like me, a little bit nostalgic for tapes and TVs and stuff from like the 1940s to the 1990s this is an exhibition for you to go and look at banks of screens that are all showing silly things when satellite tv first came on next to some plants he's projecting four different cameras at you and as you walk through it and if you go to my instagram you can see me dancing about in front of one of these light shows it's all really interesting it's all very interactive and it's hilarious but it's also a paid exhibition of an artist that has been really underrepresented for decades. One of my favourite pieces was um, called, oh no, now I haven't got my glasses, I can't read it, called Aunt and Uncle. And it's basically two sort of robot looking like people or objects that have been put together to look like a couple just made out of old TVs. That's quite funny. And then... Mm, 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 mm. The TV garden is quite good as well, which is a load of old TVs in a sort of jungle environment with loads of stuff cobbled together, showing on all the screens. And all of that influenced 90s TV, like like MTV had loads of that sort of crap in the art, in the backgrounds of things and eye dents, you know. So for me, it might seem a bit um, odd that this is in the tape. It's all part of our culture and we kind of don't remember how cutting edge that would have been at the time when he was experimenting with it. The Sistine Chapel um, is a whole room where he's got 25 different projectors on the ceiling, on the projecting, on different loads of different images, some porn, some crazy images from all around the world because of satellite TV. So he's put it on the ceiling, on the walls, on the floor and almost the the sculpture itself is like the scaffolding that may have been used in painting the Sistine Chapel but he's sort of making a joke about that lots of different images lots of different things so he was almost predicting how we consume media now where we're constantly flashing through satellite channels you know back in the day or we're constantly flicking through uh, Spotify, we're, we're always got 25 different screens on the go, or we're just on our phone having 15 different conversations with people. What did you think? Namjoon Pat came out of music, so I immediately felt this kind of affinity. And earlier on, he ran with, you know, John Cage, as you mentioned. So he was creating sonic stuff early on, and then he moves into visual stuff. I think I love the earlier stuff more. There's a prepared piano in there that was used for some really extraordinary percussive avant-garde piano work and my favorite piece was is called tv buddha and it's basically a large sculpture black sculpture of the buddha and then opposite a few meters away there's a cctv camera and underneath it there's a monitor screen so the buddha is staring at itself which i found quite thought-provoking and i really enjoyed it and that's from 1974 
Yeah, and there's lots of Joseph Boys in this work as well. That's another collaborator and comrade of Namjoon Pax. So one of the things I came away with, I think was a wrong conclusion. I came away thinking, isn't it funny how art that uses technology is the art that dates fastest because it relies on technology. So I was thinking it's funny to me how much of this stuff felt quite old-fashioned, and both in the content and in the delivery system. So Sistine Chapel that you mentioned that was a brilliant overpowering room had a real feeling of retro about it, like it almost felt like kitsch because it's big old-school projectors filling the room with old-school projections of kind of 60s icons and there's Ginsberg in there. It's of its time. Whereas like a painting doesn't date in the same way. So the William Blake exhibition that we saw earlier this autumn, some of that felt more up to date to me because it's the language of the comic book and the language of fantasy literature than some of this Namjoon Pak felt because it's made with old retro videos. But of course at the time he wasn't making it with old retro videos. He may well have been making it with the newest technology possible. However, I had an interesting conversation with our friend Natalie Kane on Instagram. Uh, Natalie is a curator of digital at the V&A, so she really knows her shit in this area. And she said that he insisted that the original equipment would have been maintained and used and the original content afterwards. So he was actually aware of this sense of passing of time. So it's not that he made a piece of work out of the most modern technology possible and then we look at it 40 years later and it looks really old-fashioned. He's the one insisting you've got to use the original equipment even if it begins to fray at the edges, even if it breaks, even if it's not so perfect. That's what the thing is. And so that really put it in a new light for me after I'd seen it, that conversation. It made me think more about his awareness of that and his sense of what he was doing is very much of its time and all of that. It, it reminded me of writing political songs, which is something I've done, where you write a political song and you, at some point you have to make a decision. Am I writing a song that will address this one issue specifically now and be for the people now, but it's going to date and be of its time? Or am I trying to make something that's a bit more general, that has a kind of future compatibility to it? And so I ended up thinking something completely different when I got home than, than when I walked out of the exhibition. But he also uses um, tropes from Eastern culture to reflect on that, doesn't he? So like the TV, you know, and all the things in the 70s that people thought about TV being this uh, evil thing and you shouldn't sit too close to the screen and like it's controlling our kids and we should be careful what kids' TV and the BBC should be like... A beneficial thing to people like it should be educational and all of that put that next to something which is ancient and timeless and spiritual the tv buddha is classic because it's like we worship the tv for so long visual culture is so high up on our scale of what we do like we're bombarded with images every millisecond of our day so that we like pretty sophisticated audiences now that we understand context like that so go and see nam june pack it's at the tate modern you have to pay to get in i'm afraid if you're not a member and it's on until the 9th of february 2020 what are you reading for 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 you go first 
oh, well, I'm reading this wonderful book. I'm about a third of the way through Richard Powers' novel, The Overstory, which has won the Pulitzer Prize this year. It was shortlisted for the Booker Prize last year. We were given this as a gift by our friends Tamsin and Charlie. Hello, Tamsin and Charlie. Thank you very much. And it's basically a book about trees. Uh, it's a set of human stories that are seen through a kind of different lens of time, almost like a tree-like time. So quite often things happen really fast through whole human lives because there's a sort of tree time. And then there's definitely some magic realism stuff going on. So far there's seemingly completely unconnected stories and they are at some point going to be connected and magic is going to happen, but I haven't quite reached that point yet. What's hit me so far, although I don't know what's going to happen in the book, is just the quality of the prose. I have never read any Richard Powers before. I barely heard the name, but this is his 12th novel and he's been a very acclaimed American novelist for a long seem, time. He seems to have won a Pulitzer Prize. He's won the Pulitzer. He, he, got, he got nominated for the Booker Prize, like, more than a decade ago for one of his earlier novels so he's clearly a kind of proper writer of great quality anyway i'm hugely <laughs> enjoying the prose i don't know what the story's going to do but it's uh called the overstory it's by richard powers reefer what are you reading for? so i went to the brighton summit in the clarington center and it was really surprisingly good i'm not a member of the brighton hove chamber of commerce um, but they do great work with lots of different kinds of industries in Brighton and a lot of small businesses. So they had uh, Gina Miller came to speak. <laughs> Just dropped the book. Um, Gina Miller came to speak and she's got a book out which I bought and it's called Rise, Life Lessons in Speaking Out, Standing Tall and Leading the Way. And it's a little memoir, but it's also kind of like Lean In, where she cites quite a lot of... Like, she'll tell a bit of her life story, then she'll give a bit of stats and some commentary about what she thinks uh, women are like and how they behave and how <laughs> things happen. And if you're, you know, not really into gender politics, probably not the book for you because she's quite binary in her thinking. And she's in her 50s and she talks about her upbringing in... Uh, Ghana that became politically unstable so they sent her and her brother away when they were teenagers they were ended up living by themselves in Eastbourne I should say if you don't know who Gina Miller is she's the woman who took the government to court over Brexit prior to that she was basically successful in business is that her thing yeah. so she's got income or but, wealth but she talks about how she created a company because she got a marketing degree she created a company to help financial services companies market themselves. And she clearly has been incredibly courageous and steadfast in what she's done for the Remainer cause or for trying to stop the government breaking the law. She clearly thinks the EU is a good thing, but she also kind of suggests that she did this all single-handedly and she wasn't actually uh, supported by the opposition parties and that she took it upon herself as a citizen she says in the book i'm not necessarily saying brexit's about leaving the european union is a bad thing but i wanted the uk government to follow procedure and not break the law in the way that they were doing it as a black woman and as a as a person who's just challenged the government i mean the white old judges got on the front pages of the papers called traitors 
she has been absolutely she's had the most horrible stuff sent to her um she's had to have security we had to have security at this conference that they never had to do before people troll her all the time i mean she has to be super careful but she goes right back to her days when she was a student and she got beaten up by some other students and she doesn't really go into massive detail about the assault that happened to her but the university covered it up and she mentions them later because it was university of east london that gave her an honorary doctorate 20 years later and apparently they didn't know it was the same the same university <laughs> she's always stood up for what she believes is right and that I found was really heartening. I got really annoyed halfway through because of all the stats saying, you know, Brexit's such a horrible thing and, you know, we're all just really in the thick of it at the moment. So I had to put it aside, but <laughs> then they could read a bit about that. But I think clearly people, they've put a face on the cover and clearly people don't like to listen to brown women. So that's good. I'm glad that this is out there and it's a British woman and we should have a read of it and have a bit of respect for it i think that's the end the end what a lovely episode thank you very much for listening uh like and subscribe what else should i say find us online we're on twitter at refigure pod we're on insta at refigure uk and we're on facebook at refigure pod be lovely to see it'd be lovely to hear from you comments all welcome like and subscribe do all those things goodbye goodbye can't believe someone gives three stars